You're listening to Parkway's podcast. Okay, well, I do have a few things that we'll share from God's Word. We'll do a shortened version because I think the Spirit has already spoken to us. Amen. And that's kind of, uh, once again, the Lord has given the, what's the word? The confirmation of the message before the message. So I like it when he does that. It's good to have all of you here this morning. Uh, We're going to look at Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 in just a minute. We're going to be doing a couple of weeks on the church, the body, uh, the people of God, the body of Christ. Uh, There's a lot of misunderstandings about the church. There's a lot of different views about what the church is and what it isn't, both within uh, the context of the church as well as outside. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit, but I want to read Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10. By the way, we have a new grandpa in the service this morning. Len, you're a new grandpa. Your son and daughter-in-law had a baby boy, right? That's, yeah, so <laughs> congratulations, yeah. And Fraser lives where? In Cold Lake, Alberta. Alberta. Yeah, and I think they call it Cold Lake for obvious reasons, yeah. And so Linda is there with them, and so we just say congratulations to you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm nowhere near old enough to be a grandpa, but it's starting to sound exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I am old enough? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Just went to the eye doctor, and he told me my eyes have deteriorated, and he says, well, at your age, you've just got to expect it. (laughs) So I just said, listen, punk. (laughs) No, I didn't. You you don't call the guy a punk when he's got you all in those things, because that scares me. So, all right. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, and that's this morning's uh, message, house of God, gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And how many of you know that that tenth is literally the word, a tithe, uh, of what you give me? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at at, uh, what the church is. Uh, Jacob had a vision of a stairway 
going to heaven, and he saw angels ascending and descending on it. And uh, if you were to read scriptures uh, like Psalm 103.20 and Hebrews 1.14, they tell us that angels are ministering servants sent by God to minister to those who are redeemed by Jesus. Angels do uh, what God tells them to do. Angels uh, go between heaven and earth uh, to accomplish, help accomplish God's will on earth. Uh, angels are involved when we pray. So when we pray, God may send angels. You can read that in Daniel and in the New Testament. When people have miraculous escapes from prison, angels are involved. So what Jacob saw was heaven and earth and this stairway where the gap was bridged and the activity of God in response to the prayers of God's people uh, going up and down. And so Jacob wakes up and declares something significant. First, he renamed it Beth-El. Beth, which means house, and El, Elohim, God, house of God. Secondly, he calls it a gateway to heaven. And I think that in those two phrases, you kind of have a blueprint of what the gathered church, remember you and I are the church, we gather in this building, but as the body of Parkway, the body of Christ at Parkway, you have here in the Old Testament an example of the basic premise of what church is meant to be. It's meant to be the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Now, the New Testament church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the New Testament church, which we're a part of, birthed in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God poured out. But I think because of what Jacob calls uh, uh, his experience in Genesis 28, we have a picture of uh, what we're supposed to be about. House of God, gateway to heaven. So first of all, it's the house of God. It's the place where we make a connection with God. I love one church's vision statement. I almost wanted to steal it. I won't, but I love it. It says, connecting people to the life-changing presence of Jesus. I think that's the most important thing that we do as a gathered body and as a church. I think it's the most important thing we do as the church when we leave this place and go out into the mission field God's called us to is bringing people. We are the house of God. We're going to look at that in a few weeks, but you and I are literally the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what's our purpose? House of God, gateway to heaven, connecting people with the presence of Jesus. Church can do a lot of things and be about a lot of things. But if it first and foremost is not about Jesus, it ceases to be the church. The new, it, it's funny that Jacob in, saw a stairway that connected earth to heaven and actually connected him to God himself because God was at the top, Jacob was at the bottom. The distance between the visible and invisible, uh, that, that gap was bridged and uh, he saw a vision of that. Now the New Testament confirmation or fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ himself. Do you realize that the stairway that Jacob saw wasn't just a picture of a church or an experience. It was literally a foretelling and an Old Testament prophecy of what Jesus would become. Listen to what Jesus declares in John 1.51. He says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus was declaring... No, no Zeppelin jokes, okay? But Jesus was declaring that he literally is a stairway to heaven. That's what he was declaring. He was saying to the people that heard him make that statement, they would have went all the way back 
to Jacob's experience when he said he saw that stairway to heaven and Jesus would have said, I'm the stairway to heaven. I am the one that bridges the gap between earth and heaven. I am the one that brings people into contact with God. It's Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven that makes uh, heaven open to us and God available to us. So Jesus is the connection point. And that's why the church must always be about Jesus. There's so many good things the church can be about. There's so many good things the church needs to teach on and preach on and strengthen families, marriages, children, all of those things. But do you know that, uh, that, that if a church uh, does nothing but strengthen marriages and families and gives the tools to be successful in life, if they leave Jesus out it, we're not the church anymore. Because the church has to be first and foremost and always about Jesus Christ. Because it's the house of God. All right. Genesis 28, 16. Jacob declares, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I can tell you with all confidence that when we gather here, the Lord is here. I can tell you with all confidence because his word says, Where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. And I think, I think I was challenged this week as I was listening to some teaching, uh, and I'm not making a doctrine or dogma out of this, but we pray things like, come Holy Spirit. He's already here. We pray like anointing fall. The anointing's already here. Jacob said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. And I think so often we come in this place and we're not aware that the presence of God is here. And we heard this morning that there's a banqueting table laid out for us and all we need to do is receive. Uh, Again, and I keep drawing our attention to it, the two most common statements I get from visitors both, uh, let let me say this, Paul LaRive and I were talking this week and Paul said, do you realize that the highest authorities in your denomination are general superintendents and district superintendents? Uh, that have come here to preach, have all said to me without fault, I felt the presence of God in the parking lot or when I walked in the foyer. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and sometimes we who come here week after week don't even know it. Other people sense it. Other people know it. But we have to be in the place like we heard this morning where our hearts are open to it. So I'm not sure sometimes if when what happens here is if the, the presence of the Holy Spirit falls any stronger or if we just remove all the clutter and all the junk and we say, man, he's here and I wasn't aware of it and now I am and we're just open to receive what he has for us. Amen? So I'm not sure, but I can tell you the Lord is in this place. I can tell you that. Where two or three are gathered. The church is the place where God is, the house of God, the gateway to heaven. And every time we gather, we become aware that he is here. And when we become aware of him, we looked at this last week, we have the opportunity to run to him or we have the opportunity to kind of stay on the outside. It's always funny uh, uh, from the perspective of the front here how you can see people being touched by the presence of God and receiving the presence of God and someone right next to them is sitting bored thinking nothing's happening. You know, I, I was in a service once. Jackie and I went on holidays one time, and we went to a church near the one uh, that we were youth pastors in. And boy, in the worship time, it was wonderful. People were worshiping, lifting their hands. And the pastor got up and preached for 50, 55 minutes on how animals are different from people uh, in, in Genesis. 
I mean, I know preachers can do a really, really good job about making the gospel and God's word boring. I know sometimes we try our hardest. You know? But I want to tell you something. My perspective has changed over the years because I left and said, I'll never, I'll never go, you know, go back to that church. I, mean, I only get three weeks out of the year. When I go somewhere, I need to be in a place where the Spirit of God is. The Spirit of God was there. Okay? I think he was trying really hard to use the pastor to preach. But I'm going to tell you something. When God's people were worshiping and praising him, when there was prayer, when there was scriptures read, how many of you know that the Spirit of God is there? Even in a boring service, if we open our hearts to it, we can encounter him. We don't live by our feelings. I understand that. By faith, we need to realize that he is here and he's available. But uh, at some point, when we come into a place like this, how many of you know we can become increasingly aware of his presence? And all of the clutter of the week can be washed away in light of his glory and grace. So... This needs to be a connection place. That's why more and more, I believe I've always tried to be faithful to it, but more and more, we're just taking time to say, you know what, let, let the rest of the week, let the rest of the world be in a hurry. On Sunday morning, we just need to relax because God is here and we need to connect with him. Secondly, church is where conversation with God takes place. Genesis 28, 13, there above it, stood the Lord. That's the connection. And he said, which is conversation, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. In Exodus 25, 22, God told Moses to build the tabernacle and the Old Testament wilderness church was the tabernacle. And this is what the Lord said, I will meet you and give you all my commandments for the children of Israel. So that I will meet you, connection, and I will give you commandments, conversation. The house of God is the place where God can speak to us. God is always wanting to speak to us. The Spirit of God said that he would take what is Jesus and make it known to us, and he is with us every moment of every day. He can speak to you anytime. Evelyn said she woke up at 3 in the morning. He can speak to you in your car, in the workplace, at school, but I think sometimes the problem is life is too noisy and things get too cluttered, but when we come into this place and we just set everything aside, it's a place where he can speak to us. It might be in one of the songs that's sung. Uh, It might be in a prayer that's prayed, a testimony that's given. It could happen through the preaching of the word because there's great preaching here. It could happen in a conversation following the service. Uh, It could happen happen at any point but God will have a conversation with us and when God speaks to us he could correct us and correction I love how I heard one pastor put it he says correction isn't bad we seem to think that correction's bad correction isn't bad if someone if someone was desperately needed to go to the washroom and they went out those back doors and they turned left. And one of our ushers stopped them and said, the only thing that you're going to find down there is the broom closet, right? You need to go that way into the lobby and turn either left or right. That's correction, right? The, the, the usher's not being mean. He's not saying, you know, you're stu- he's just saying you're going the wrong way. If, if your final destination is over here, you're not going to get there that way. And when God corrects us, that's what he's doing. Right now, God's word is under attack. Right now, what the Bible claims is God's purpose for our lives and our morality and for marriage is all under attack. And the church and God is made to feel like there are these mean ogres when we bring correction to that. The fact is, is that correction just steers uh, people in the direction of the destination that God created them to be, and that's a good thing. 
And it's always okay when we pick on someone else's misdirection. But when God speaks to our misdirection, we've got to remember, it's good. Correction's good. God will also give us direction. And God may convict us of sin. He may encourage us. Anyone encouraged this morning? Anyone inspired this morning? God will speak to us and converse with us when we gather together as the church. We can come expecting. Thirdly, it's in the context of the church that we make and live out commitments. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, I will give, give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And I will give him a tenth of everything we own. Do you see Jacob's response? Jacob's response was to do something tangible in the form of a commitment. This is where I really believe that we fall down and fall short so often. We make verbal commitments, but we don't make tangible commitments that force us to follow through. And again, coming back to Robert Morris, Robert Morris says almost every commitment will cost you your wallet. Jacob said, I'll give you a tenth of everything that we own. And here's why I believe that. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we often misquote that, don't we? We say, well, you know, uh, where, where your heart is, your treasure, your, that's where your treasure is. And there's truth to that, right? Uh, there's a lot of things I don't spend my money on because my heart's not there and I could care less, Right? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And he said that very specifically because here's the principle. Where you put your money, your heart will start to follow and take a great interest in that. I never, ever gave a second thought about the stock market or the value of the dollar or anything like that until I took out RSPs. And about four years ago, I, I was concerned about how the stock market crashed. Why? Because I had an investment of money, and my heart followed that and went, I've got some funds wrapped up in that. I hope the market turns around. You will take an interest on wherever you put your money. And I think Jesus didn't slip up and go, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. I think Jesus was making a statement. If you put your treasure there, at some point your heart will come in line with it. So if you're a person that says, I'm caught up in things of the world, I'm caught up in buying and this and that, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I don't have a passion for the kingdom of God, I don't have a passion for the local church, I don't have a passion for missions, then you know what you need to do? Start putting your money there. I'm not kidding. Start putting your money there and your heart will start to follow. Start to tithe. Start to give offerings to your local church. Start to sponsor a child. Start to give to a missions thing. And then you're going to start asking for the newsletters, the updates. You're going to come to the business meeting. Why? Because you want to see what's going on where you've put your investment and your heart will follow. So the best thing, if you say, I don't really have a passion for the church. I don't really have a passion for the things of God. Start to give to the church and your heart will follow. It's absolutely true. So we have to make commitments in the house of God when God speaks to us. I think 
you know, there's this new trend of people saying, I don't need the church. Uh, I can be a Christian, and, uh, and, and I can, but I don't need the church. Can I, be, can I just be, you're here this morning, so obviously you know you need the church and you love the church. I think people make that statement often for the motivation of this. I just don't want to be accountable to the church. I don't want someone telling me that I need to serve, give, or that I'm going in the wrong direction and that I need correction. Purpose of the church is where commitments are made and follow through. And the Bible says we hold one another in love and accountability to that. I read a really amazing statement by one of the Duggar kids. Uh, They have what, like 40 kids now or something? Uh, Jessa? Jessa blogged, and Jackie showed it to me yesterday, where she said, people make the statement, don't judge me, God is my judge. And they kind of basically say it, back off, don't hold me accountable, don't speak into my life. And she said, I don't think they really know what they're saying. Because she says, God is an awesome and fearful judge if we remain in constant disobedience. And in the church, it's the place where commitments are made. It's the place where we say, we're all headed heading in this direction. And you know what? It's better for you to speak into my life and hold me accountable than for me to stand before God one day and God go, I spoke to you time and time and time and time again and you ignored me. Well, I'll let that sink in. Isn't it true? Most of the commands of the New Testament are fulfilled in the context of the body of Christ and how we relate one another. So, it's the place where commitments are made. Fourthly, church is where we are challenged to change and then be transformed. So, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute. But why is Jacob here? What's he doing in Bethel? Well, Jacob, the name Jacob literally means supplanter. Supplanter means one, one who replaces another through deceit and through lies. And that's what Jacob was. The second translation of his name means deceiver and liar. Third translation is one who grabs at everything they can. He lived up to all of those things. Jacob, when he was younger, kind of tricked his brother into giving the larger inheritance. Jacob was and Esau were twins, but Esau was the older twin. So Esau was entitled to, uh, because there was two of them, he was entitled to two-thirds of the inheritance, and Jacob one-third. Jacob tricked him using cunning and Deceit, taking advantage of Esau in a place of weakness, and he had that switch. So now Jacob gets two-thirds, and Esau gets one-third. So that's a bone of contention between them. Then the time came for Isaac to give them their father's blessing, which in Hebrew culture was binding. Once you spoke a blessing, it could never be taken back. Once you spoke a curse, it could never be taken back. It was powerful, and it was binding. And Jacob swindled his near-dead, near-blind, near-deaf father into tricking his father into thinking he was Esau, receiving Esau's blessing, Uh, And Esau got the secondary blessing. So Esau basically responds by saying, I'm going to kill my brother. Esau was a hunter and a tracker. He was used to like killing things and then skinning them. And he said, I'm going to kill my brother. He wasn't saying it like we used to like, I'm going to kill. He literally meant he was going to kill his brother. So Jacob had to flee. And so that day he travels 40 miles north from Beersheba to Bethel. That's why he's there. And God meets with him. 
The next day he gets up, he travels another 40 years, goes and lives with his uncle Laban, and for 20 years he serves his uncle Laban, where you find he's trying to swindle and cheat his uncle out of, uh, you know, he's part of the family business, but he's cheating his uncle into being able to get more. So uh, God appears to him in Genesis 31, 13, after 20 years, and he says, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So what is God saying? God is saying, you made a vow to me. It's time to fulfill it. I have a destiny for you to go back to your father's house. It's time to live it. It's time to go. But you're going to have to go back to your family and confront your past. Church becomes a place, folks, where we have to eventually confront our past and be changed. Church is a place where eventually who we are will catch up with us and we need the mercy and the grace of Jesus, but we also need to be transformed. So as, as uh, Jacob is traveling back, you can read about this in Genesis 32, 22 to 32. Jacob sends his family ahead. He's traveling back. He, he winds up at this place called Peniel, where a man comes and starts to wrestle with him. And they start to like wrestle all night. At some point in the night, Jacob realizes it is God, an angel of the Lord, who he's wrestling with. And Jacob grabs onto him, and instead of fighting defensively, starts to fight kind of offensively, and he makes a statement. The Bible says the sun started to rise up. Jacob grabs onto this man, and he says, "Uh, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Because he realized it's God. And all of us, at some point in our lives, when God speaks to us, when he directs our lives or even corrects our lives, we stop fighting him and we start to realize how good he is, the goodness of Jesus, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we stop fighting him on all of those things and we just grab onto him and say, okay, God, uncle, now bless me. But with the blessing comes a change of character and a transformation. So this is what God does. The Bible says, as soon as Jacob says, okay, God, uncle, the Bible says God touches his hip, pops it out of the socket, Jacob surrenders, and then God says, I'm going to give you a new name. You were called Jacob, now I'm going to call you Israel. Israel means prince of God, but the better translation is this. Here's the, here's the basic translation of it. One who strives with God, but God prevailed. Isn't that good? That's the story of my life. I fight with God and strive with God, but in the end, God prevails, and I'm better for it. Because what God did was, by changing his name, he changed his character. He says, you're no longer the deceiver and the swindler. And by the way, you're going to be one who I have overcome. And now you're going to limp for the rest of the life, which meant he was dependent on God for everything. God says, if you're ever going to live in the destiny and the purpose I have for you, you're going to have to do it in God awareness and in God dependence. And so if... if we come into the house of God, the gateway to heaven. And God has so many promises for us. He has this banqueting table for us. God has a destiny and a purpose for your life, your marriage, and your family. But it comes down to the place where we have to say, God, I need a character change. I need to be changed. And then I need to be transformed. So over the next few months, God is going to transform our church. He's going to equip, empower, and change us so that we can go deeper and further into his destiny and plans for our lives. And as a leadership, we are committed to creating an atmosphere where it's easy 
for you and I to connect with the presence of God. We want to be faithful to that. We, we want to be faithful to letting this be a place where, whether it's through the gifts of the Spirit, the preaching of the Word, something that has said uh, in, in the worship service, a prayer that's prayed, a conversation, we want God to speak to you. But we also know that God is going to be calling us to a new place uh, of challenging us to walk out the commitments. That if we're going to be all in, it needs to be more than a sermon series. It needs to be something that we're doing daily, weekly, and monthly. But it's going to take change. He's changing me. He's changing you. And he wants to change all of us. But you know what? I'm just going to throw this in at the end and then we'll close in prayer. I want this to be the house of God and the gateway of heaven where God prevails. Where if you come in and you say, I have a situation where I need God to prevail because nothing else will do. The reason I had Carolyn testify, I had no idea what Evelyn was going to say, but I have a relationship with Evelyn where she says the Spirit spoke to me. I know the Spirit spoke to her because she's not looking for a platform. I knew Carolyn was going to speak because Carolyn called me last week and said, I'm so thankful to Jesus that he healed me. And I don't even remember what I was going to say now, but uh, it was going to be so good. This was probably going to like change your life for the rest of the year. <laughs> However God chooses to speak to us. Oh, right. So, yeah, Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn was in a situation where she came forward and, and I remember standing with you, Carolyn, but there was just like this resignation in you, like, Jake, Jesus just has to do this because nothing's working, right? And every week that you come in this place, if you have a situation where you're like, if God doesn't prevail, there's probably no hope for this circumstance. I believe God's going to re- prevail. I believe as we wrestle through the issues of our lives, I believe as God changes us, I believe as God expands our understanding about who we are, what he's called us to, what he's already provided for us fully and completely, God is going to prevail in your life. I declared that last week by the Spirit of God. I declared it the week before by the Spirit of God that God was going to give some of you wings and you're going to soar in a way that you never have before. And and along the way, we stand with you. But God is going to prevail over your circumstances, over your lives, over your sicknesses, over your loved ones that don't know him. God is going to prevail. More people should be saying amen because that's good. Thank you, Lord. So let's bow our heads and close this morning. You've been so good to us today, Lord. Lord, I really debated this morning whether I should speak or not because I felt like you already had, but I do believe that through your word you've challenged us once again to recognize that it's not just about us when we come into this place, but it is about connecting with you, Jesus. For at the end of the day, it's not a pastor or a church or the person sitting next to us, but it's you, Jesus. When you prevail, when you reign over our lives, that's where victory comes. That's where uh, answers come. And that's what you've called us to. I just pray this morning that no one would leave defeated, no one would leave discouraged, but every person would leave having had the hope of Jesus Christ put in their lives that you do all things and you do all things well. Thank you for that, Jesus. And so I pray uh, for the people that were prayed for 
If there's not a manifestation of the answer yet, I pray it would come even now as they prepare to leave in Jesus' name. God, prevail this morning. Prevail, Jesus, over every circumstance that would rob your people of everything you died to freely give us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or even imagine. And now may the grace of God the Father the love of Jesus and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit go with each one of you to your homes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message. If you'd like to learn more about Parkway Church, you can visit us online at parkway-church.com.